we've been talking, like on Thursday night, I started another series. I didn't intend to, but it is. It's on the, the per, your purpose and the process. And, uh, and on Sundays, we're talking about global glory because we believe, really believe, and, and we can back it up with Scripture. It's not just some, you know, abstract believing. Uh, real, real, really, when you know God and know His purpose— you know that all that we've been through over this past few months was the devil trying to thwart what he knows is inevitable. My Bible says that he knows his time is short. And so he's trying to stop or at least slow down the move of the Spirit of God. And if you were him, you'd do the same thing because he's going to a lake of fire and that's not a happy place. At least it doesn't sound like a happy place to me. I mean, I like spicy food, but that's kind of like... <laughs> So anyway, we began to look, and in, in, in on Thursday night, we just touched in Genesis chapter 1, and I want to go there again because I'm seeing some things, and, and I'm not the only one. There are ministers out there now that are seeing things in the Spirit that weren't so clear, at least to some of us, before. And in Genesis chapter 1, of course, verse 26 through 28, we found that God made man in his image and in his likeness, and the word that's used in the Hebrew is the word bara. And it means to make something from nothing that you can see. But then in, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says that he formed man out of the dust of the earth. And that's the word yatsar, and it means to build something out of something. And so we can see that man, first of all, is a spirit. And then he was given a soul and a body. But then the next thing, and it's puzzled me for a long time, because in, in Genesis chapter 2, it talks about four rivers. Two of them are identified on earth, and some people have tried to explain the other two. But really, the best explanation is when you get to Genesis chapter 3, because in Genesis chapter 2, Adam had this unique position in that he lived in heaven and lived on earth at the same time. And the heavenly realm, my Bible says, Paul the Apostle said, the things that you cannot see are the real things. So the heavenly place, we, we try to think of a planet somewhere, you know, because of Star Wars or something, you know, land far away in the galaxy, beyond whatever, but, but it's not. And when I read Hebrews chapter 12 and it talks about a cloud of witnesses, I get the idea that the spirit realm is right there and that Adam and Eve had total access. This is why when Jesus was walking in the garden and, and Mary Magdala, Mary Magdalene came up and identified him. He said, don't touch me. I haven't taken my blood to the heavenly holy of holies. So the reason why he had to take it there is because Adam's sin reached heaven because his authority did. And so here's this, this creation. And then when you get to Genesis chapter 3, it says that God came and talked with Adam in the cool of the day. And so... When I think about that, what do you think his prayer life was like? Do you think it was, oh, God, please give me? Could you bless me? Could you loan me? Do you think he was praying over things? He had everything. He probably was saying, hey, Lord, I saw the northern lights last night, and wow, they were spectacular. I tried this new fruit over in the other section of the garden, and it was amazing to my taste. And so his prayer life was 
communication, uh, praise and worship, if you will, a talking and listening to God. God. The Bible says that God talked to him in the cool of the day. And lots of times our prayer life, there's no room for God to say a word because we're too busy with our, uh, our grocery list or our shopping list. But when you think about it, then, then when I looked, at, he linked that up in my mind to Ephesians 1 and verse 3, where it says, I've already been blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. When I realized that I've been put back to what Adam lost, then I realized that my prayer life needs to change more into praise and worship and, and intercession for other people. Absolutely, because, you know, Abraham proved that when he interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah and all of that, and Moses when he interceded for the whole nation. So we're not negating those things. But if we're really going to have this relationship with God, we've got to realize also that he says, you know, Ephesians 1, 4 says that he chose us in him. I don't want to preach this message today, but <laughs> just a little color commentary. That, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So the first thing that you notice is it's kind of like in Jeremiah 1 and verse 5. God says, Jeremiah, before you were knit together in your mother's womb, I knew you and called you to be a prophet. So I could say this to you today. I could say, John... Before you were knit together in your mother's womb, I have called you to be. And then over in John chapter one, the Bible says that the holy, that God through Jesus Christ lights every spirit that comes into the world. So every one of you have been deployed here. No, no, you, you didn't, you, you weren't born here. You were born, you were, your physical, see, this is, this, is, this is Adam and Eve. They lived in the natural, in Genesis 2, 7, Yatsar, the physical body, but they also moved over into the spirit, and they breathed, they, they lived in the glory of God, to the point where when the glory left, it took 900 years for them to die. But the further away they got from the glory, the faster they died. But now, Hebrews 2, 10 says, that the captain of our salvation made perfect through suffering. Here's something else you need to think about. Jesus was not perfect. He was innocent, but he was not perfect because he was carried in the womb of a woman. My Bible says in Hebrews 2 and verse 10 that he became perfect through the things that he suffered. What did he suffer? Again, this whole Bible is a story about two gardens. Two trees, two gardens, two people. The first Adam, the last Adam. But in the Garden of Eden, Adam said, I'm going to do what I want. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I don't want to die for Gary Hooper's sin. It was great. I don't want to feel that on my body. I can take all the other stuff, but, the, but, but being separated from the Father because of Gary Hooper's sin was more than I can bear. And so I'm praying, please take this cup from me. But he surrendered his will. And so your goal and my goal, we have been deployed here. And now our goal is to do the same thing. To get to the place where you surrender your will. Because the, the, real, the real sin problem is pride. It's what caused Lucifer to fall. 
I will be like the Most High. I will set my place on the sides of the north. I, 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 he had eye trouble. And when you get eye trouble, you're operating in his realm. But the thing is, the thing is, if, if, Ad, and the spirit realm is more real than what you can see. If Adam and Eve could move from the natural realm into the spirit realm, then so can you or I. And it's no less real today than it was 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. So there's something that we need to learn in this hour, right? Would you agree with that? <laughs> so then when you read about Adam and Eve being put out of the garden, it wasn't for punishment. It was for protection. Yeah, yeah, they were going to struggle. He said, now you're going to live by the sweat of your brow. You were never intended to sweat. I'm sweating right now. But it was never God's intention. <laughs> he said, you'll not they weren't living by the sweat of their brow. They had everything supplied. And my Bible says in Ephesians 1, 3, so do I. So what do I have to do? To I have to learn how to step over into that place when it doesn't even look like the supply is there. I have to step over into healing when my body's feeling sick. Because, he's, because I realize he's not going to do another thing about my sickness. He's not going to do another thing about disease. He's not doing another thing about poverty or lack. Matter of fact, when you discover your purpose and you go through the process of the purpose, what you need will be there. But see, we've got this idea, and, and, and I had it myself, in Colossians 2.10, it says that we are complete in him who's the head of all principality and power. Isn't that wonderful news? But yet there's a process involved in that. The, 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 in the spirit, see, in the spirit realm, everything is perfect. Everything is already done. But in the natural, I have the process of walking it out. He'll lead me, even though I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, he will lead me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So there is, so there is something that's in the spirit realm that needs to be and Jesus had to go through the process. He had to be born a baby. He had to go through the natural process of growing up and through going through growing pains and all of those things. And I need to get off this message to get to where we're going. But, but he had to grow up in the natural. And then it was 30 years old before he did one miracle. Because he was born, he was innocent. He was innocent, born of a virgin, virgin birth and all that. But he was not perfected. The process, just like growing up, had matter of fact, the Bible says that he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He had to read this book and find the place where it was written of him. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. He had learned all those things. And for 30 years, he had no, no real contact with the father because he was formed and fashioned like a man. He was, he was the son of man, not the son of God. He put that down. And he had to walk out his life just the same way that you do. He had to find himself in the scriptures. Can you prove that? Oh, yeah, it's all provable. And we'll look at some of it over this next little while. But for now, you need to know that. So, he, so it was for his protection that he was put out of the garden. Because if he had partaked of life in that fallen state, he would have lived his whole life in all that misery for, for eternity. And so God put him out. And when God put him out, he put up a veil and guarded the veil with angels. And you can follow that veil all the way through. When Moses made the tabernacle in the wilderness, there was a veil to keep you in from the holy. That veil follows all the way through until one day Jesus 
And when he split that veil, he opened up the glory for you and I. And now we need to discover what he's made available to us. Because my Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short. Fallen short of the glory of God. But again, Hebrews 2.10, the captain of our salvation came to restore us back to glory. So he put up a veil to keep Adam and Eve out for their protection. And, and really for our protection too, because there's a story we just read, and I think in Chronicles we're reading the Bible through in a year. And uh, they were taking the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart. It wasn't being carried properly by the priests. And Yuza, the Bible says Yuza reached out and touched it. And when you read it in the King James, it says, and God killed them. And it's like, what? But really, what I see, our, our, our God is a consuming fire. And he consumes sin or anything that's, anything that is not perfected gets wiped out by his consuming presence. And this is why he couldn't run over and hug Adam and Eve after they were fallen. You know, he had to keep away from them too. The veil was to keep them away from him, but also to keep him away from them. So, so when you know that, it'll give you great comfort in knowing that the veil is not there anymore. So this is the situation that they found themselves in. They were out of the garden and separated from the glory of God. And age, the aging process started and sin, sickness, disease, all of those things crept into. Why? Because they bowed their knee, committed high treason to Satan. And uh, he's the sickest being don't be fooled by the movies that makes him look big, bad, and ugly. He's a mouse with a microphone. He's totally defeated. He can't do anything unless he can sell you. He's, he's, a, he's a salesman. He'd like to sell you whatever he can. But over in Genesis 31, we looked at that because we needed to look at Genesis 31 because of the law of first reference in the Hebrew language. And the first word, the first time glory kabod is used, or kabod, however you want to pronounce it, is used is in Genesis chapter 31, talking about Laban and his position. So just look quickly at that. In verse, thir- verse 1 of chapter 31, it says, He heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken... Now, I, I don't need to reiterate this story. The short version is Jacob worked for the guy for 20 years. So he ripped him off for 20 years, and then payday came. The devil may have been ripping you off for 20 years, but now payday's here. No, no, payday's here. The word 20 is the word kaf, and it means to get a hand out. Hallelujah, it means get lifted out. So when you think about 2020, it's a hand out and a hand up. God's about to redeem your... You know, this, this, this... Anyway, don't get ahead of yourself. Okay, and so it says, He took away all of our fathers, everything that belonged to our father, and he's gotten his glory. So Kabod, there's, you know, you can look it up in, you know, lots of concordances and things like that. I just want to give you one line, okay? It's the very essence of your being. So it's everything that you have, everything, you know, that you, you possess, everything, your character, all of that and more. As a matter of fact, when it says that he took away Laban's glory, it's all that he is. It's the full weight of who he was was taken away because he had stolen it from another man anyway. It really belonged to Jacob. It was Jacob's glory. Jacob was the one that was given the double portion. 
and it took 20 years to get it. But if you read the story, when he came back across the Jordan River, he was with two companies. He got the double portion, but for 20 years, it kept getting worse. Can anybody relate to that? Come on, no, but, is it, but it's true, isn't it? The process is opposite to what you're thinking. We love reading Corinthians 3.18 and being changed from glory to glory into the image of his son. Yeah, but sometimes I'm thinking from mess to mess. Because I need to die and I don't want to die. I am crucified with Christ some days. Some days the old man sits up in the coffin. Not you. I'm just talking about me now. I know you all got it together. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, bless God. <laughs> None of you have ever been there. Okay, let's go to Genesis 45. We'll just look at one more of these familiar. They will be familiar by the time we're through with this. Uh, chapter 45, talking about another man, Joseph. Joseph had two dreams from God. You had several prophecies from visiting evangelists. And you said, and, and then you, 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 you even typed it out, and you looked at it two or three times, and then after a while, it's like, good Lord, Jesus. <laughs> right? None of you have ever done that either. Joseph held on to his dream for 13 years. No, this is what faith looks like. Faith isn't pretty, and faith doesn't feel good. Read his story. In Psalm 105, it says, that until his word came from the Lord, the word tried him. And it tried him with fetters and chains. He was locked up in jail for two years. Just like the Apostle Paul. Things aren't always going the way that you anticipate when you're being changed from glory to glory. But, but if you don't fear the process, if you, really, if you really are friends with God, he's your friend. He wants so much to be a part of every part of your life. That's why he would say, trust in the word with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge the word, and the word will direct your steps. He's the word that became flesh. He said, you can trust in my word. You can, bet, you can, you can trust in this with all your heart, and don't try to figure everything out. You wear yourself out trying to figure everything out. Well, where am I now in you, God? <laughs> am I on the 10-yard line at least? Are we getting close? No faces, I got it now, see? And this is where we got to get to. This is like, I've got it. I'm not trying to get it. It's already mine. And, and I don't know how it's going to happen. Jesus, come on, Jesus, for 30 years. He was called, he said, I've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. For 30 years, he never saw any of that. He worked as a carpenter. Some people say it was, he was a stonemason. I don't know what he was, but he, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't glorious. He was walking out. Anyway, so Jacob, Jacob in uh, 45, 13. He said, you'll tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, of all that you have seen, and you shall haste and bring him here. In other words, he's saying, I went from the pit to the palace. I went from the jailhouse to the White House overnight. And it looked like it was an overnight success, but it took 13 years. But, but make sure you tell my father of the glory of my position, 
I'm second only to Pharaoh. I'm in charge of everything that you can see here. And my Bible says in Revelation 1 and verse 5 and 6 that you're a priest and a king unto your God. Peter 2.9 says you're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation to show forth the praises of him that have called you out of darkness into this glorious light. So you might not look like a king. Your crown might be crooked. <laughs> you might have fallen off your donkey. I don't know where you're at right now. But I know that the process is in place. And there's only one way to get there is to walk it out. Let's go to Exodus 20, 20, because that's where we started the year. When, we, when God gave us these verses for the start of the year, I was so pumped. I had no idea what was about to take place. A decade of destiny. Wow. The next thing you know, we're all at home, not allowed to leave the house. Just like the original Passover, though, when you think about it. <laughs> They had to go in and cover the doors with the blood and say, I'm staying inside till this thing passes over. So, so anyway, Exodus 2020 was the first verse that we started with. And I called it your 2020 vision. But really the letter for 20 in your Hebrew alphabet is the letter K-A-F. I've also seen it K-O-P-H. Could be cough. <laughs> I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I know what it means. It means a hand extended. But when you get 20, 20, you get two of them together, it means not only a hand extended, because, because if you look at it on the Hebrew alphabet, it can be written two ways. There's two different letters for this one letter. And one is open and one is closed. And when you look at 20, 20, it's like a hand extended and reaching and another hand closing on yours. And so that makes it so powerful because it was after 40 years that they came out of the wilderness, right? So, so yeah, I don't know how long you've been in your trouble either, but these guys were, for, for, see, there's no date that you could use for getting out. But he, so, so anyway, Moses, it says in verse 20, and Moses said unto the people, fear not, we have already covered that. You can't have a relationship with somebody that you're afraid of. You can't have a love relationship with somebody that you're afraid of. So when God says, don't be afraid, even though it's the word yare, the same word he's going to use later in the sentence, remember that there's 8,000 Hebrew letters and 100,000 English letters. So the letters get used over and over again in various ways in the Hebrew language. And so here, yare, the first one means, you know, it's, it means I'm not to be afraid of God. The second one means that I'm to have him in reverence. Because this kind of reverence makes me want to do his will. I want to do what he says, right? Amen. So now let's go to Exodus 33. We haven't looked at this verse in a while. And really, and again, I think I missed this on Thursday night. It's... 2020 in the Gregorian calendar, it's 5780 in the Hebrew calendar. Now, 5780 doesn't mean you have 220 years left, because we know when Jesus was born and when he died approximately, so we know we're in the last generation. The reason why the Hebrew calendar is so far off is because they counted it by kings and they missed three or four Persian kings. And so, so we don't know exactly what day it is. But even in the Hebrew calendar, it, the, the 80 is when Moses got the revelation to go back and deliver the, deliver the Egyptians. So th these, th it's not a coincidence that God uses these dates that we're in to preach to us. 
Right. So, but here in chapter 33, and where can I pick this up? Anyway, Moses is going to lead the people up into the promised land, and he's having a discussion with God because God doesn't want to go with them anymore. <laughs> no, no, he, he, again, he was, he was concerned that he would kill them. And I don't mean, you know, I know what, how you read the Bible, but, you know, God, he, he wasn't out to kill them. He, he, he brought them out to bring them in. He brought them out of one thing to bring them into another. But he is a consuming fire. He said, I'm taking you onto a land, verse 3, overflowing with milk and honey. But I'm not going up in the midst of you, for you're a stiff-necked people, and I'm liable to consume you along the way. But Moses said, I don't want your prosperity without your presence. So if you're not going, I'm not going either, right? And so then we get down to verse, uh, how about verse 7? Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, the, the tabernacle is the word mishkan, and it doesn't mean tabernacle so much as it means dwelling place, resting place of God. So, so it's kind of like a place of prayer. Prayer, you know, prayer is not an action. Prayer is prayer. Real prayer is a, is not just an encounter with Lord, the Lord either. It's an abiding. It's an abiding place. It's kind of like, like we we think prayer is this formal place where we get you know, like Paul said, uh, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So we see him bowing. But then we see David, I think in Psalm 5, says, talking about the meditation of his heart being prayer. So lots of times you're just meditating scripture. And you're, real prayer is just like, if I want to talk to Pastor Paul, I go in his office and say, hey, Paul. I don't go in and say, hey, Paul, this is what I want you to do, Pastor Paul. And Paul, you do Pastor Paul and Paul, and then walk out and call it time of Pastor Paul. He didn't get a chance to say a word. And I told him everything that I wanted, and he didn't get a chance to say, well, this is the way I see it, right? But yet we approach, come on, you've been in prayer before you've seen it. <laughs> you've seen it. Stop and listen. The wisest being in the universe might have something to say on the subject. <laughs> so so it's, a, it's a continuing place. It's a habitation. It's not something... Now, in the morning when we get up, Nancy and I, we, we, do, we confess the word of God. Because the number 80 also, the number 80, 5780, I forgot the minutes, 80 is when you get up and you, it's the, it's the letter pay in the Hebrew, and it's, it shows an open mouth. And it's, it's when you declare who you are and, and the promises of God. So 5780 in the Hebrew mind, they're doing it every day now. They're declaring who they are in God. And, and when he gives it that date, this is the same thing that we're supposed to be doing. Romans 4.17, many times it's calling those things that be not as though they were, is also a type of prayer, you know. But it's not the whole, I guess what I'm saying is you can't, you can't put prayer in a box. Like in Luke 22, when Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, that was a prayer of consecration. You don't pray that when somebody's sick. 
because you know it's God's will for healing. But yet, if you don't know the word of God, you say, oh, God, if it be your will, heal this person. It is God's will. Read Matthew chapter 8. You don't have to read very far. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1. The leper says, God, I know if you would, you'd, be, you'd heal me. And he said, of course I will. Did you ever find anywhere in Scripture where he said, no? Show me one, please, if it's there. I've heard more goofy stuff taught on Jesus. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, so how about verse 11? The Lord spoke unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. He turned again to the camp, but his, look at this, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the presence of God. Departed not out of God's dwelling place. You wonder why he's got a whole book, 24 chapters written about him later? It's because he wouldn't get out of God's face. He just got into, it's like Enoch, oh God. Enoch walked with God and he was not for the Lord took him. His relationship with God got so great that God looked at him and said, your house is mine. And they just walked off together. That's available for everybody. The reason why it's in there is if he will do it, he's no respecter of persons. If he'll do it for one, he will do it for anyone. Provided you're his. You know, people say we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all God's creation, but we're certainly not all his children. Matter of fact, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. He said, you're of your father, the devil. (laughs) But we are his family. I mean, many of us, I didn't know my father. He died when I was six years old. But, But if you had a good father, at least you could start to relate to a good God. But, but I've been doing, I haven't done marriage counseling in a number of years, but while I was doing it, I never hardly met anybody with a good father or a good father image. You look at the problems that are r- rampant across America right now with all of the riots and things like that. It's a family problem. You know, it's a, the root of this is the church failed to develop families. Amen. So anyway, uh, so uh, verse 12 Moses said unto the Lord, see, you're telling me to bring up this people. Do you know how much pain is involved in my life? Do you know the pain that I'm experiencing? God, Moses was saying, I've got a million people that I'm trying to lead and guide here, and they don't want to go. And it hurts. Yet you have said, I, I, know, I know you by name. Well, if you know me by name and I found grace in your sight, then give me something. No, this is what he was saying. He was being honest with God. He was feeling frustrated because at one point God said, I'm just going to kill all those people and start over again with you. And Moses talked to him out of it. And then the next thing you know, God's talking to Moses out of the same thing. There was, they were dealing with people. How many of you know people have problems? How many of you know that? Right? Well, Moses, it was, you know, and Moses was dealing with people that just came out of slavery. And so they, 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 they had deliverance, but they had no freedom. You, you can't get free till you think free. If you keep thinking like a slave, you'll live like a slave. Yeah, I've been delivered. Yeah, I've been delivered out of the authority of darkness and translated into God's dear son. But if I don't start thinking like a king, I'll never be one. If I still think I'm not good enough, if I still think that I can't do it, then I won't. As a man thinks in his heart, 
so is he. That's why God gave you the Bible, so that you can change the way you see yourself. Because where you see yourself, of course, is where you find yourself. Yeah. Verse 7, 13, I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your ways that I might know you, that I might find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is, is your people. <laughs> and he said, my presence shall go with you and I'll give you rest. He said unto him, if your presence doesn't go up there, I'm not going either. What a good, what a good response. But he said, I found grace in your sight. I found grace in your sight if you go with us. Verse 18. He said, I beseech you, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I'll make my goodness pass before you. Proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll show you the content of my character. But I need to hide you in a cleft of the rock. And the rock that followed them was Christ. And so when you read that, link that up with Ephesians chapter 1. Because in the book of Ephesians, it's who you are in Christ. And in the book of Colossians, it's who Christ is in you. So it's that heavenly, earthly connection again, because he came to restore you back to glory. What does the glory look like? Well, let's just go over to Exodus 40. I know we're covering verses, but I'm going to get you out of here on time for Father's Day. Yep. Exodus 40 and verse 33. He put up the court around about the tabernacle or the Mishkan and the altar and set up the hangings in the gate. So Moses finished the work, then the cloud. So this glory that we're talking about, it's, it's everything that God is, everything that he has, and everything that he can do. It's a manifestation of that, but there's also physical things that you can see. When we were in Israel going into some of the old places where they had paintings of Jesus and the disciples, they all had circles over their heads, like a halo, because that's what they saw. Even when they were out fishing. They showed them out in the boat fishing, and they got these halos over their heads. The glory could be seen. Arise and shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you in the world of darkness, gross darkness upon the people, but God's glory shall be seen upon you. Something that you can see. So it, it's very tangible and very spiritual at the same time. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of the congregation. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because of the cloud. And in my mind, it's like because the law can't take you into the presence of God like that. Then over in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 21, we just bounced past that. We, we looked at, you know, that he was trying to lead them into the promised land He's trying to lead you into exceeding great and precious promises that you can partake of his divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. He was taking them into a physical place, leading you into a spiritual place. But when he tried to lead them into the physical place, he couldn't do it because they were filled with fear because of giants. And see, inferiority will always keep you away from the presence and the things of God. You got to see yourself in Christ, the new creation. 
Anyway, they couldn't see that. So, but in verse 21, he says this, as truly as I live, this is good news for you. Being the last generation, this is really good news for you. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with chaos and rioting in the streets. No, no, it's not what it says. He said, I'll take, I'll bring cosmos out of chaos. I'm, my glory is going to bring order into this mess that, that, that you see right now. And you can't fix it. And you can't, you can't, the, the thing is, you, you know, we, were, we had tribe of Judah meeting last night. And we were talking about how we need to take it to the streets. And God's going to take you to the streets. But it's not going to be by human effort. It's not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The human effort hasn't worked. What's going to work is the glory of God on you. Again, Isaiah 60. God's glory seen upon you. And then it says that kings and influential people will come to the brightness of your rising. Why? You might work at McDonald's. You know, what your call is in the natural is nothing compared to what you're called to in the spiritual. You're not here by accident today. You're not hearing this by accident today. God is speaking to you today. Gary Huber never told you one thing about what he thinks. Showing you what the Word of God says. If you've been hearing my voice for a long time, you learn how to turn it off. But you really need to listen to this. As truly as I live, my glory, all the earth shall be filled, filled with the glory of God. Second Chronicles chapter five, because that was another chapter where we took, we took chapter 20 and verse 20 for this year. But in chapter five, this is, this is, this is key. Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity, because it releases the anointing that came down over Aaron's beard the Bible says, and pulled out onto the floor. He said, it'd be like the dew on Mount Hermon. But look at this. In chapter 5, 2 Chronicles 5, 11, it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, for the priests present were sanctified, not waiting on course. There were 24 courses that looked after the temple in Jerusalem over 48 months. And so they would, twice a year they had to go down. This time they're all there, and 120 is significant. Because back in Genesis chapter 4, God said, My spirit will not always strive with man, but the number of his days will be 120 years. Moses, Noah, who he was talking to at the time, or, or one of the guys that he was talking to at the time, I forget now, he, he was saying, he wasn't saying 120 earth years, he was talking about 120 times 50 jubilee years, works out to 6,000 years. That's why there was 120 people in the upper room as well. That's why there's 120 people here, too. 120 people in the upper room. Jesus, the greatest preacher on earth, preached. And in John chapter 6, when he called for commitment, they all left. And he was down to 12 disciples. And then he said, are you going to come into covenant with me or are you going to leave, too? Because he knew his purpose. He knew, his, he knew the process and he knew he was going to Calvary, whether anybody went with him or not. And so he held on to his process. And so the greatest preacher that ever lived ended up with 120 people in the upper room. He said to them in John chapter 6, you're only here because of the loaves of fishes. You're only here because of the kids program. You're only here because of the awesome youth group. You're only here because of the... Are you here for the presence of God? Amen. And it came the priests, they came out of the holy place. They were all sanctified. 
and all the Levites and the singers with Asaph and Haman and Jethadan. And they were arrayed in white linen. So are you in the net. You are clothed in garments of righteousness, clothed with salvation and covered with righteousness. You are right now in the spirit realm. Come on. And they came to the east end of the altar with them, 120 priests sounding trumpets. And I asked Pastor Paul this one day. I said, how long would it take to get 120 band members? Asked him, asked him uh, Hammond. He played in, in the big marching bands. How long does it take and how much patience do you have to have to get everybody in tune? How much frustration would you have to deal with, do you think? <laughs> Sound man speaking a lot. <laughs> some want it louder, some want it softer, some want it in between. Oh, God, I would not want to be a sound man. <laughs> sound like it this way, it sound like it that. I don't really care. <laughs> All I care about is the state of your heart and the love that you have to share. Amen. 120 priests, and it came to pass, listen to this. It came to pass in verse 13 that the trumpeters and the singers were as one with one sound. Revival has a sound. Check out the revivals over the years. They all had a unique sound. I'm listening for the sound now. The sound will come when we get into unity. It's not union. It's unity. Union, union is uh, a carpenter and a plumber working together on the same project. That's unity. Union, union is when you get all the plumbers not wanting to work with the carpenters. Unity is when we are building the house of God and we're going to work together on this. We're going to forgive and forbear with one another. Even as Christ forgave, we're going to forgive. We're going to let the love of God be shed abroad in our hearts and be thankful. Forbearing and forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave, I forgive you, right? And you forgive me. Okay, good. So it was one sound to be heard, praising. And what was the sound? Praising and thanking God. They were all in sync. There was nobody there grumbling and complaining about what, they, what, what, what wasn't working right at the time. They got to a place of unity. And I know what they were singing because I, I watched Kenneth E. Hagin do it over the years. He would say, praise the Lord. He would say, say this with me. Praise the Lord. For he is good. And his mercy endures forever. Then he would say it again. Praise the Lord. For he is good. And his mercy endures forever. Then he would say, say it again. Praise the Lord. For he is good. And his mercy endures forever. In the Hebrew, he would say, hallelujah, kitov, kitov is most good. Hallelujah, you are most good. Ki leolam, hasto, your covenant kindness lasts forever. Hallelujah. So that the priest, verse 14, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of God had filled the place. Hallelujah. See, then it don't matter who's preaching. Don't matter who's doing praise and worship. Don't matter what's going on. It's God is here. Hallelujah. God is here. God is here. So when we find our purpose and we go through the process, 
Because over the years I've watched some people look for a position in a church or a title in a church, or they look for acceptance in a church. And we all want to be accepted. I, I really hope you like me. I like you. <laughs> no, no, but, but Jesus wasn't bothered by that. He wasn't. He said, you all want to go too? You, you, you know, I, I, when you know your purpose, you can go through the process no matter what. Again, Romans 8, 29 and 30. How long does it take 120 people to get in sync? But Romans 8, and 8 29 and 30, I'm not going to go there because I'd lead, it would lead me into another message right now. And I don't want to go there. Read it sometime at home by yourself. Okay. <laughs> Chapter 7, verse 1, again, carrying on. Now, when Solomon had made the end to pray and the fire came down from heaven, ooh, send your fire, God. No, send your fire and knock the people right out of their chairs. Hallelujah. No, no, the fire is a consuming. You know, it consumes, it consumes your life so that his life can be seen. It's a good thing. That's why he said in Romans 12, 1, submit your body as a living sacrifice so that I could send the fire and toast it for you. No, so that all I can think about then is other people. I don't have a prayer list. I'm just praising him for everything that he's done, and I'm thinking about other people. And, and that's real freedom. This, the, the, deliverance is, you got born again, but real freedom is when you're free of yourself, when it doesn't matter anymore. How does that happen? When you learn how, when I learn how to step over into the glory, which over this next couple of months he's going to show us, how to move from here to there. Because, it, again, it's always it's been available since Jesus came, the glory, because the captain of our salvation came to restore us back to that, back to the walk, the, the heavy weightiness, the, all of the presence, the full manifestation of God is there. So he said, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord Filled the house. And the priest couldn't even enter the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord had filled the house. Whew. And again, hallelujah. Praise the Lord for his mercy. Is, he's good and his mercy endures forever. It shows up again. Then over in Habakkuk chapter 2, we're almost getting to where I was going today. No, no, but I'm not going to keep you. I promise I'm not going to keep you. It took me too long to get you back here. <laughs> Father's Day, some of you got reservations. You can actually go to a restaurant and eat now. Did you know that? We tried to go to the Micmac. They said you can get there at 9.30 tonight if you want to wait. <laughs> Habakkuk 2.14. I think we might have started this with this verse. Because it says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory. And this is really cool because it's not talking about intellectual knowledge. It's talking about everybody will know. Not because you preach to them. Everybody will know. Not everybody will yield. But he said, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not about me witnessing, although I do that. It's got nothing to do with any of that. He said, I'm going to, just like and again, he, just like Noah's flood, 
I, I always use this illustration. I'm going to use it again. Don't get upset. Okay. In, in, in the St. John River, from comes down past Fredericton and down into the Bay of Fundy. When that thing floods, it, it Hooper Perezzo, exceedingly abundantly above all, you can ask a thing. Hooper Perezzo means to flood over the banks and do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. When he's talking about this river busting out, it's the water goes, you can, you can put up sandbags and you can't keep it out of your house. He said the whole earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory and people won't be able to keep it out. It's coming to them. Now, I read my Bible and I know that a lot of people will fight against it, but I see them on the news now. You know, one guy was walking along with a sign. He said, if Jesus comes again, crucify him the second time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And he was a guy wearing high heel shoes. I had trouble with him anyways, but. (laughs) Confused. But now there'll be no confusion. Because the earth will be filled with the revelation knowledge of the glory of God. So then you're with, this is why he wrote in Romans chapter 2, you, you don't have any excuse now. There'll be no excuse for anybody who goes to hell. They decided to. They would rather go to hell than surrender their stubborn will. Right? So the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as Noah's water, you can put it in there, as Noah's flood covered the sea. And again, this word knowledge, it means to discern. It's not just seeing, but it's recognizing from afar. It's a deep awareness in the heart and in the will and in manifestations also. Then if you just turn a couple of pages, you'll come to Haggai chapter 2. I'm almost done. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. Thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once in a little while, I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. The word shake, I'm going to give it to you if you want to write it down. You can. If you don't, that's fine too. The first letter is the word rush. And it's literally a shaking, but it's the, and the next letter is sheen. Sheen means divine precision. And the last letter is ayin, which means insight. No, I told you wrong. Okay. Help me, Lord. The first letter is the letter S-A-I-N. S-H-I-N, rather. Oh, I'm really messing you up. Okay. Calm down, Gary. You're trying to close too fast. Circle the airport slowly. Okay. The letter Sheen is the first letter. The Hebrew word is Resh. That's what I gave you. But the first letter in it is the letter Sheen. And Sheen means divine provision. The second letter is ayin, A-I-A-Y-I-N. And if you look at it in the Hebrew, it's an eye that sees or insight. And the last letter is the letter kaf, which we talked about already for the letter for 20, a hand extended. And so what this verse is saying when he's talking about shaking the nations, he's talking about bringing cosmos or order out of chaos to bring order out of chaos. So if you don't know that, you'd, you'd, you'd get the idea that, you know, really when he shakes you, it's to wake you. If you're being shaken up, it's time to get up. That's all. It's not a punishment deal. Not yet. I mean, we know that judgment comes in Revelation chapter 13 and so on. 
It's not pretty, but but if you read the book of Revelation real slow, the church is going in chapter 4 and all the way through chapter 19. Whenever there's a, a something bad happening, there's a pause in between for people to repent. Because God's, he marched around. They, they in Jericho, they knew he was coming for 40 years. And when he got there, he made the march around another seven days. Six days around the earth. And then on the seventh day, the earth fall, fell down. When they blew the trumpets, when the trumpet sounds, the, the things of the earth, they had six, 40 days, 40 years plus, six days of them marching around the walls where those people could have came out. Rahab the harlot and her family got out. The rest of them died because they didn't, because they didn't repent. And when they excavated that place, they found syphilis in the bones of the children. Like the place was in a mess. But, but think about what God said to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to keep you in Egypt, your family, for 400 years because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God gave them 430 years, 440 years, plus that seven days to repent, and they didn't. So if you're looking at the world out there and thinking that it's pretty insane, it's always been. There's nothing new. It's just we're getting it reported to us more often. And what's bad is being promoted. And what's good is not, nobody's saying a word. What about the millions of people that didn't riot? What about those? What about the millions of people that are, that are still praying over the police departments and still believing for law and order and decency? Come on. So verse, so he says in verse 6, I'm going to shake the nations. I'll shake the nations. The desire of all nations will come. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of armies. This, and right in the middle of it, he puts the silver and the gold are mine. And it's important because everything that Solomon had, the richest man that ever lived, that money belongs in the kingdom of God. And the wealth of the wicked is laid up in store for the just. And gold right now is $2,300 an ounce, a troy ounce. And all of that money, the wealth of the wicked is in the, is in the wrong hands right now. And it's going to be transferred into the church. I have no idea why. I know it's not your multi-level marketing scheme that you'd like to promote on us, but, but I know that God somehow, somehow, just like he did with, J- with Jacob, 20 years of his wage. The Bible says Jacob's wages were changed 10 times. That means every couple of years he didn't get a raise. He got a demotion. And maybe you've suffered some of that too, but you hang on. You hang on. Bless God. You just keep tithing. You keep giving offerings because you cannot... You'll never go broke by giving. You could go broke by hoarding, but you'll never go broke by giving. Never, ever. So he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Why would he tell you that? Why would he tell you that when he's talking about the glory? If he didn't intend for you to have some. The next verse, verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, says the Lord of armies. Well, Hebrews 3, 6, you don't need to turn there, but my Bible says that we are his house. So I know they're building the fourth tabernacle. I read the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, I think in Ezekiel chapter 37, he saw the Holocaust and he said, God said, speak to these bones, shall these bones live? And he's saying, what are you talking about? God, only you know that. And he spoke and he saw the bones and the sinews coming together. And he saw Israel becoming a nation again in 1948. Then you read chapter 38 and chapter 39, you see about a coming war with Russia and Persia and, and all of that when God moves in and intervenes and wipes them out. I think in, in Russia it says that only one out of six people will survive when God steps in. 
So those things are previously coming attractions. But here, <laughs> no, it's like, you know, things are not going to get better in the world. See, because I love what he said in Malachi and in another place. He said, this is the great and the terrible day of the Lord. It's great when you know God and terrible if you don't. But the terrible ought to draw you in, right? Not, not chase you away. One more verse. You got time for one more verse, right? Okay. Matthew chapter 3. Now that curtain between the seen and the unseen realm, that curtain that kept Adam and Eve out of the garden with the angels, that the cherubim that sit above the mercy seat and all that, the first time that you, the first time that you really get a glimpse of it being open is here in Matthew chapter 3. Verse 11 says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. He that comes after me is mightier than I am, whose shoe I'm not worthy to to tie or untie. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Whose fan is in his hand, send the fire. God will purge the floor, gather the wheat into the barn, and burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then came Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him because he wanted to completely identify with you so that you could completely identify with him. He knew no sin. He was innocent, but he was going to get water baptized so that you could relate to him, right? So Jesus answered and said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becomes for me to fulfill all the righteousness. Then he allowed him. When Jesus was baptized, he went straight away out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened. The curtain, the first time the curtain was pulled back, was right there. The heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and falling upon him. And that's when he started, do, that's when he started doing the miracles. Up until then, he had done nothing because he was, a, he was the son of man. He was just a man that was innocent. But when the anointing, the glory of God came and fell upon him, is when he started his three and a half years of ministry. And there's so much more to the glory that we need to understand. But when you understand it, you'll be able to live in it. You'll be able to walk in it. No, you'll recognize that it's not about, you'll recognize that Ephesians 1 verse 6 says that he, he made you accepted in the beloved. So when you're accepted in the beloved and when he came to restore you back to glory, He's saying, I want you to be able to step in and step out in the heavenly realm, in the natural realm, so that you can function in both. And and he said, I want you to be able to do it at will. So that when trouble's around and things are chaotic, you can just step over and the peace of God that passes understanding will rule your heart and your mind. And when you need to operate in the natural, you you can. And then, then the gifts of the Spirit really begin to manifest through your life. Because you realize, hey, it's not me anyway. You know, we had this discussion at Tribe of Judah last night. You know, what do you do when you pray for somebody and they die? Or Robert said, next. He said, I can't take the credit when they get healed. I'm not going to take the blame when they don't. And, and it's the same thing with the gifts of the Spirit. In order to have a New Testament church, you've got to have people that are stepping over into glory and just doing whatever they feel to do. And, you know, what if I'm out of order? What if you are? What if you make a mistake? You will. How many? Come on. No, it's time for us to become the church. It's time for us to be out there on the street knowing that we're priests and kings and that we have the authority. We have the real voice in this earth. And that we can call those things that be not as though they were. We can turn the tide.
And it doesn't matter even what it looks like, because in Genesis 1-2, it says, The earth became without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering upon the face of the waters. So it was total chaos until God said, let there be light. There can be total chaos in your neighborhood, total chaos at your career, at your workplace. You just keep speaking light. You just keep speaking life. You just keep calling those things to be not as though they were, because God put you there to turn it around. See, you, you see, you could have been here a hundred years ago and not had to deal with any of the stuff we're dealing with right now. But God chose you for now so, because, so that there's equipment already in you. No, no, you can't. See, like when you understand purpose, he had a purpose and then he created a being. The purpose came first. The purpose right now in this earth is for the problems to be solved. And, and it's part of your purpose. But you can't trust on doing it. It's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of God. God, God say, you don't need to struggle. You don't need to find, oh, how am I going to ever, oh, what do we, what's, my, what's my responsibility? No, when you find your purpose, when you find out what it is, and don't tell me he won't tell you because he, he will. He's got a bigger purpose than you can think, and if your dreams don't scare you, you're not hearing from God. Right? But when you find your purpose, then you can go through the process. You can get knocked down. Paul said, I've been cast down, but not destroyed. <laughs> Rejected, <laughs> forsaken. Like you read his story. He, he says this, though. He said, these light afflictions. You've got to have a revelation just to say that. These light afflictions, which are but for a moment, are nothing compared to the glory that shall be seen on me. I remember when I first met Lowell Kaiser. Lowell was, and still does, he's the captain of the ferry that runs across Country Harbor. When I met him, I heard the Lord say, he will ferry people out of darkness into the kingdom of light. Probably haven't done much yet. Probably been in an awesome process, though. How many times did you feel like quitting? 100, 200, 300, 5? Because the process begins with childhood. Give me the keys to the car. Not till you're old enough to see above the dash. But in due season, Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there is a season of purpose. The season of purpose in the generation we're in is to reveal the glory of God to the nations. Even in Canada, the parliament buildings, he shall have dominion. Come on, 70, is it Psalm 78, verse 4, or 70, 74, verse 8, one or the other? He shall have dominion from sea to sea and rivers of the anointing. Rivers of the glory, if you want to use another word, will flow into the nations. And you might look at yourself and say, how could I do that? You can't, but you've been deployed here. So therefore, when you go through the process, the purpose, will, the purpose will be accomplished. I'm sure that Jesus, being a human, was found in the fashion of a man. Over 30 years, he was reading his Bible, I wonder if he ever said, when, Father? When? I'm looking around me. I see so much sickness and so much disease. When? And he couldn't do anything until the, the, the veil was rent and... This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
He received his sonship at age 30. We are. Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's when he became who, he, who we know him as today. Before that, he was going through the process. But as he went through the process, he had expectancy. I'm going to do something big for God. No, God's going to do something big through me. And it'll be so big that they'll know it wasn't me. And they'll give him the glory. They'll say, wow. You see what happened? And they won't even see you. That, that'd be a real cool thing, too, is we could almost become invisible so that they, all they could see is Jesus working. Jesus working, Jesus working, Jesus doing signs and wonders and miracles. He's here right now. How many of you ever seen his glory? I mean, the glory cloud. I have. It's like fog in the church. Yeah. Ever been knocked down by it? Yeah, one time I was laid on the carpet. Paul, I was on the carpet so long. And my face, when I got up, my face had the pattern of the carpet. I was there for over an hour. Could I have gotten up? Yeah, I could have, I, I could have jolted out of it, I suppose. Because I, I can still operate in the natural end of the spirit. But I choose to yield. If he's doing surgery on me, I don't want to jump up in the middle of the operation. <laughs> right? So if he lays you on the floor... Don't start thinking about, well, I better get out of the way. Or what will people think about me? Don't. This is when you really know you're free, when it doesn't matter what people think. All that matters is what he thinks. What do you think, God? Are, you, are, are we okay? That's how I like to talk to God myself. Lord, are we okay? Nancy says we're not, but are we? No, she doesn't. She doesn't. <laughs> I was just seeing if you were paying attention. <laughs> I've learned a lot from Nancy, though. I've learned how to repent from Nancy. No, sometimes I can be a man. You men know what I'm talking about. <laughs> See this praise in the Holy Ghost till I repent. It's not fair. She calls God into the house. What am I supposed to do then? <laughs> I love the process. When I look back over the years of my Christian life, some of the times I hated the most were the best, best for me. And now I'm ready for a move of the Spirit. And I don't care who he moves through or what happens. Hallelujah. I just hang on to those Azusa Street promises. A hundred years from now is going to happen again. And all the end time prophets. See, real prophecy is for exhortation and comfort. Like a lot of the doom and gloom prophecies, not real prophecy anyways. There is no doom and gloom at the moment. It's Exceedingly abundantly above all that he can ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church in this age in Jesus name. Think about it. He's coming back for no, he's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back and he's going to do it. 
He's going to make the church glorious. I get the easy part. I just have to believe. And believing gets easy when you know. You don't struggle when you know. There's a knowing that God loves you. I got this revelation. I hope you have it too. That God loves me. Even when I don't like me. And he's not ever going to change his mind. And all of his promises are in him, yes. And in him, amen. He's not going to change his promises either. So whether I see them or not, I can lay down on them and go to sleep. David said, I'm not afraid of 10,000s of people that have compassed around about me. He said, because I know that my God is my glory and the lifter of my head. My God is my glory. He's, come on, David was running from Absalom. He said, they said there's no help for me in God. He said, they said that, and they chased me out of Jerusalem. They said, I laid down and I slept. The whole army said, Absalom and Heathfell and all those guys were coming after him. He said, I laid down and I slept, for the Lord sustained me. He's my glory. He's the lifter of my head. Peter knew that when he slept in the jail in Acts chapter 12. They're going to kill him in the morning. They have to kick him to wake him up in the middle of the night. Don't you know they're going to kill you in the morning? The Bible says the angel, read it. It says in the King James, it says he smote him. Read it in the Greek. The angel, here's Peter. God says, go get Peter out of jail. The angel goes, look at that. He's chained with four quadrants of soldiers, and I got to kick him to get him out of bed. And then I got to tell him, get your coat and follow me. Bible says that he didn't know till he was in the street what had really happened. That, that's a good sleep. No, but that is a place where you can go. That's over in the glory. That's out of the natural. It's the, what Adam could do. Step over here, step back there, step over here, step back there. There's a place. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.